God, we come before you and we have so much gratitude for your goodness, for your blessings, for your grace, for this journey of these last three years. And Father, as we have one more chance, um, as I have one more chance to be together with this church that has been such a family to me, I pray that once more, as you have promised, as you always have, that you would send your spirit, that you would give each what they need, that you would speak to our hearts and assure us of your presence, of your comfort, and that we would be challenged, Father, to follow you with all of our hearts. Thank you so much for all of your blessings and for your love. Speak to us now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know whose idea it was to make me preach on my last Sabbath. You guys handing me roses and making me all a mess. Oh, one more. See? You see? But I, I've been spending some time this week uh, reflecting on these last three years, and I found this picture. Some of you may have seen it before, uh, but I found this picture, and this is July 6, 2013. It was my very first Sabbath here at this church. That's me being introduced to this church community, and I know because we've had the, con the conversations that you guys are like, a pastor? She looks like she's like five years old. A woman pastor, the first woman pastor this church has ever had. That it was a first for me, and it was a first for you. And it was such a special Sabbath. I have all these hilarious memories of, of that Sabbath. They put me at the door to greet. And so I am, there I am, like shaking hands with people I've never met. Like, oh, welcome to your church. Welcome, welcome. You know, I'm meeting people. When all of a sudden, it was really interesting, this lady comes up to me. Sylvia comes up to me, and she grabs me by the arm, and she pulls me into one of the Sabbath school rooms, and she kneels down and gets a lighter and turns it on and starts burning the bottom of my dress. And she didn't introduce herself to me. She didn't say anything about who she was or what she was doing. And I remember standing here looking at her thinking, like, this church is weird. <laughs> I don't know about this church. And she stood up, and she looked at me and said, you had some threads hanging at the bottom of your dress, and this is the best way to get them off and I was like oh wow <laughs> and as hilarious as that story is it actually means a lot to me because I've made no secret that it was a challenge for me to finally commit and decide to go into pastoral ministry uh, it's not an easy thing and as I you know observe people in my life and my parents really involved in ministry I always thought to myself I will always want to be involved in ministry but I do not want to be a pastor but God was so clear in his call and I asked for all these signs and you know we don't have time for the story to today, but even as I went through PUC and I finished a communication pre-law major, just in case God changed his mind, I did some internships at big churches. I grew up in a big church, and I did internships at big churches, and I remember when it came time to decide where to go, my prayer was, and it was my secret prayer of my heart, I asked God to send me to a community, to not just a church where it was going to be like a show and, you know, always performing, but I wanted to just be a person. It would be my first time, and I wanted to be in a safe community, not safe where nothing hard would ever happen, but with a family. And so when I found out that Benita was one of the places where the conference was considering placing me, they told me that Benita was a healthy, positive community and that Pastor Milton was a great mentor. I came down during my spring break. I was at PUC, and I creeped around the church. So I came and visited Coronado, visited places in San Diego, and I started creeping around the church. No one was here. I was like, I hope the alarms don't go off. <laughs> and so I looked in all the windows, all the Sabbath schools. I saw the Giffords um, foosball table, and I thought to myself, well, the church has a foosball table. That must be a pretty good church. But my family was here with me, and I remember we were praying and asking God for guidance and direction. And I remember getting the overwhelming sense 
I didn't get a sense of what could happen here, but that God said this would be a place that would be safe for my heart, and it would be a place where I could, I could learn, and I could make mistakes and be amongst family, and God has certainly kept that promise to me. From the first day when I realized that friends don't let friends walk around with threads hanging out in the bottom of their dress, to when all the girls piled into my car, and all the times that we've had, I have known that this church has been a family to me in a way that I've never experienced, and I'm so grateful to you for that. But at the same time as I was coming here, it was not it was not an easy transition. It's exciting, right? You know, getting to be a pastor for the first time, living in a new city, starting something new. But the transition itself was actually really difficult for me. I had just graduated from PUC, so I went from living in a dorm with hundreds of my friends to living by myself in a new city. And I remember that being so shocking. I like to do things by myself. I'm pretty independent, but there's something about showing up to a new place and being a couple hours away from family and the night, the sounds at night are unfamiliar and you know, everything's the same. Like you do something and you leave and you come home and everything's gonna be exactly the same. And it was, it was in the small things, realizing that when I get a bunch of groceries that like I'm the only person that's gonna carry all of that, you know, to the second floor apartment. And the day that I was jogging, and I was a couple miles from home, and I realized I was about to pass out, hypoglycemic or dehydrated or something, and my vision starts to close, and I pull out my phone, and I realize I have no one to call. I didn't know all of you yet. I didn't know where you were or if you would come get me, and so I just realized, like, I'm alone, and I laid down on the sidewalk. My fiance is um, four or five hours away. We can only see each other once a month, and three months in, my car gets totaled, and I'm just thinking to myself, this is a really different difficult transition. Change is hard, right? Transitions change hard, even when they're good changes. Even things like getting married, even things like going on vacation studies say, bring up a level of stress in us that's difficult to deal with because for us as humans, we like things mostly to stay the same. We're more adaptable than we think, but change makes us really unhappy. If we hit a detour on the way to work or to school, we're like, ah, oh, it's not what I expected. It's not what I wanted from my day. It's not like we can't spare the extra four minutes, but change has always been something hard to navigate. And my husband and I will be making a transition soon. We'll be navigating a change, but there are so many more transitions that you navigate in your own life. Relational changes and career changes and financial changes and all kinds of changes that we navigate, the seasons that we go through where things do not stay the same. And it's in those times where we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable either to become stronger in God or to become weakened in our faith. And those times of change and transition, those seasons are very important times and the decisions we make in those times, extremely important. And so today I'd like us to look at what God has to say about times of transition and about times of change. As you experience them in your life, as I experience them in mine, as our church goes through some transition, what does God have to say about the seasons that we go through? Um, I'd like to invite you to turn with me in scripture to Isaiah chapter 43. And I'll give you a little bit of context because Isaiah can be a little bit of a complicated book. 
It's essentially written to the people of God, and it's been a long time now that God has sent his prophets to warn them that if they don't turn from sin, they will go into captivity. And captivity is actually not the, a punishment. Captivity for them is an opportunity to come into focus about what they believe, about what's important, an opportunity for them to choose God. And so the first half is, um, is Isaiah warning them and telling them the Assyrians are coming close and to turn back to God. And the last half is written after they have been in captivity for a while. And talking about transitions, they have lost everything. They've lost their freedom. They've lost their homes. They've lost their identities. Most of them have lost their families. And they're completely bereft of everything that makes them what they are. So in Isaiah chapter 43, God addresses his people that are in the midst of such change. And it's words that are for you and for me as we navigate all kinds of changes in our lives. And this is what it reads. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. He tells his people that are going through all kinds of change and they don't even know what they are. He says, if you don't know what your identity is, know this. Your identity comes from me. I made you. I formed you. I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. In the Hebrew, a more accurate translation of this is not I've summoned you by your name, like Katie or Sharon. The more accurate way to say it is I have summoned you by my name. What God is saying here is if you don't know who you are and you things in your life don't make sense, I'm giving you my name. I'm telling you I made you. You belong to me. It doesn't matter how messed up your family is. It doesn't matter what you go through or what mistakes you make. I have given you my name. And he says, I have redeemed you. You see, at this time, having a name is so much more important than we can understand. For them in a time where there was so much transition and moving and you would never see people and there's lack of genealogies, it's not common, their name told them who they were, told them what their status was. And in an absence of that, God says, you have no status, you don't even have freedom, but I'm going to give you my name. And that can still mean something to us, to you and to me. Because the reality is in this world, you and I are fighting an overwhelming tide that tells us that you and I have to earn our value, that you and I have to earn our worth, earn our identity, that we are who we are based on what we achieve and accomplish and how many people like us. And whatever measures we or other people put on us to say we are successful, that is the tide of our world. And yet in the midst of it, God is offering something else. He's offering a different identity as a son or a daughter to say regardless of the changes and the transitions that you go through, you belong to me. This was something that has been part of my story for the past three years. Like most of us, I've been really good at figuring out what people want from me and trying to do that. Teachers want good grades, so you make A's. Parents have expectations. Employers have expectations. And as I came here to pastoral ministry, I remember looking around at all of you, strangers then but family now, and wondering, what is expected? How do I succeed at this? How do I do well? How do I handle it when you're not happy with me? And one of the reasons why this community was so safe for me is because of Pastor Milton. Because the first time we sat down and I came with my six month, one year, two year plans, he said, Sam, just listen to God. 
the thing that is most important that you can do is not to just do stuff because you should or to achieve stuff because they seem right in your eyes, but to seek what God wants you to do. And if people don't like that, that's okay because your life is about faithfulness to God. And so it has been such a journey with Pastor Milton reminding me over and over again to stay faithful to what God has called me to do, to be okay with it when people don't agree, and to seek my identity as his daughter. You see, it's times of transition that challenge who we are. When things aren't comfortable and when things change, our identity gets shifted. When we don't have the money or achievement or accomplishments or people don't see it, things don't go as, as are expected. It's our identity that we feel is under war. And for you and I, and me especially, what we try to do is we just try to claim it. We just try to do more, do more, try to make it up, try to look good, try to, try to make it work. But God has a unique blessing to offer us in the times of transition when our identity feels like it's being torn apart. He says, it can be a curse to you as you're destroyed and you give up, or it can be your opportunity to allow me to build in you who you really are, for you to hear me call you by my name, for you to know who you are in me when everything falls away, to know who we are in God. So he says, don't be afraid of the changes, because despite all the challenges that you go through, I'm here. I can build you. I can take what is destroyed and make it stronger. And he says, I have redeemed you. You and I don't really understand easily what it means to redeem something. We redeem coupons, or we redeem our Starbucks rewards points. But if you look at what redeem means, I looked it up in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. It means to buy back or to repurchase, to release from blame or debt. Because it's not just in our professional lives or even in our families that we try to earn who we are. We do it spiritually too. And the harder we try, the more we realize how short we come how in debt we are, and how there's nothing good enough we can do to overcome the things that we've done and said and been and thought in our hearts. And what God says is, I have a solution for that. I have redeemed you. All of those debts and all that shortcoming, I make that up for you. You're redeemed. When I look at you and call you by my name, if you want it, I see you as righteous. I redeem you. I read a story this week about a little boy who, more than anything, wanted to build a boat. He wanted to build a wood boat about this big and float it in the river. So he spent weeks and weeks, which is a long time for little boys, making this boat. And he carved it. And there were some mistakes, but you know he kept going. He put pitch on the outside, and he cut out the sail. And finally, the day came. He was, it was a weekend. He was off from school. And he headed to the lake with his precious boat to sail it. And he put it in the water, and the wind caught the sail and blew away from him so fast, he lost it. So he jumped in, and he was swimming after, and he was trying to save it, but it went so far away, he could not retrieve it. He went home weeping and crying that he had lost this thing, this, his creation. Until one day, the next week, he was walking through shops, and he looked in a store window, and he saw his boat. It was on sale. And he thought, there's also someone found my boat. This is awesome. I can, I can get it. I can have it. And so he goes into the store, and he picks up the boat, and he comes to the shopkeeper, and he says, this is mine. You found my boat. Thank you so much. And the shopkeeper goes, that's not your boat. That's my boat. That boat is on sale. You cannot have that. And so he said, but look, this is the place where I accidentally scratched it. These are all the mistakes that I make that tell you it's mine. I made this. And the shopkeeper said, no, this boat belongs to me. It sailed to me. This boat is my boat. 
And so he asked, well, what do I need to do to get it? And the shopkeeper told him, you must purchase the boat back. And he named him an amount that was three months worth of his allowance. And so he went home, and for three months he saved his allowance. He tried to find extra jobs, and he worked and worked until finally he brought all that he had and gave it to the shopkeeper and asked for his boat back. And when he had the boat, he hugged the boat, and he said, you're mine. You're twice mine. First I made you, and then I bought you. And when I look at this verse, that's what God is saying to us. You're mine. You're twice mine. First, he made us. He created us, formed us, put his image in us, made us to reflect him and who he is. And then he says, and when you went away from me, I bought you back. So in the times of transition and change, when our identity is under attack and we're trying so desperately to know who we are and if we matter, God says, allow those times of change to be times where you rely on me and when you realize you need me and when you look to me for your affirmation and your identity and who you are. So important. It's really interesting because as I look back in these three years, they're not at all what I expected. Not at all. Um, and I have a, I, I experienced something actually just yesterday that gave me a pretty good illustration for it, so I, I added it in last night. Um, how many of you have ever been kite flying? Okay, very few, right? Kites are kind of a thing of the past. If you look, at, if you look right there, uh, that's me at Seaport Village, and that tiny thing in the sky is called a pocket kite that my sister purchased. Um, you know, you can fit it in your purse, it's really little, and so we went to fly pocket kites. So I heard that Mr. Gifford has some kites, right? I'm like, oh yeah, I've flown kites. You see my kite? And um, yesterday afternoon, some of the teens and I and he and Miss Trina, we went out to Coronado Cays, and we went out to fly some kites because, you know, there's not much time left to do that for us. And he pulls out of this bag, like, this ginormous kite. And I'm like, whoa, that is not a pocket kite. So we start to navigate it, and it's pretty strong. It's pulling you. I'm like, okay, I kind of got the hang of this. Then he pulls out this bigger kite. It's, it's even bigger. And I'm like, whoa, that's a big kite. And he looked at me and laughed, and so that's only half the kite. <laughs> and it's this huge, like, crescent. And as it catches the wind, I'm starting to kind of get dragged around. Like, whoa, like, this is some serious kiting going on. I'm starting to get dragged around. And then there's one more kite. And he suggested to me, you know, this kite is really big. Like, people fly, like, it can fly away in this kite. Um, and, you know, you might not want to get in it because, you know, you're a little small and you might fly away. But I thought to myself, like, oh, I'm pretty strong. Like, I can fly this kite. And I'd like to show you a little bit of what happened to me. Okay, I have a video. My husband was recording it. And I'd like to show you a little bit of what happened. You're welcome to laugh. I screamed in laughter like 20 times last night. I'd like to show you what happened. Okay. Epic music. So Mr. Gibbard is holding on to my, my harness. That's how he's going to you know, keep me grounded. It's going pretty good, pretty fun. somewhere um, the harness broke check this out this is a really like strong harness and it ripped in his hand the wind gusted it it picked me up and I'm like oh he got me and if you notice like my feet kind of go out to the side and all of a sudden he's like oh my goodness and he, he was like let go and I let go but it, 
was still dragging me, so I like face planted, then I skidded, and I went belly up. Like it was such, such a great experience. <laughs> I was like, I'll see this again. But what's hilarious about it is I was watching it, I'm like, oh, that was totally my experience starting as a pastor. <laughs> you know, like you got a kite and you're like, oh yeah, I can do this. And you're like, no, I can't, I can't. And all of a sudden you're skidding and things are difficult and it's challenging and you don't understand why. And the teens don't like you because you're new and you're not their old pastor. And you're like, oh, just like me, I like you. <laughs> because like you said something wrong and you're like I didn't mean it like that and you know the challenges that you go through and it's lonely and it's difficult and it's scary and and there are things you know like I said I've said before I know it looks like we mostly just party all the time and we do you know we have a lot of parties especially with the teens it's great this Thursday I walked into my house like and I was like ah, home. and I walk in and there's a cobweb of streamers I'm like oh what's going on and then they pop out of the sides the hallways in my house and they start spraying me with silly string and like we have like this really really sweet goodbye party and there are times where there are parties but there are times when it's hard too and about a year ago I remember feeling like I could not do it anymore for reasons that are too painful and feeling like it didn't matter and I just couldn't keep going and I remember Ms. Trina coming to my house and picking me up off the floor of my kitchen and just encouraging me. You see, at this church, I have found friends that have been family to me. I call Sharon my, uh, my Jonathan. You guys don't even know. Preaching is so scary. I stand up here and you guys laugh and like, oh, it's Pastor Sam. But for the first few months, I would throw up before every sermon because it was that stressful. And even now, I'm like, oh, you know, God has to do the thing and Sharon will pump me up and send me out. And in so many ways, when God says, I will be with you, what he means sometimes is I will be with you through my people. I'm with you because my people are with you. When God says, I will be with you, he means I will, he sometimes means, yeah, I will come and you will have those moments when your heart is full and you know I'm there. But he also means I'll be with you in community. I'll be with you through my people. And that is something I have experienced here so many times. Even when Mr. Gifford's harness breaks and I go flying across the grass, it's still pretty fun. So he says, don't fear. I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You're mine. And then he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. His promise that he will be present with us. Now, this isn't just, you know, when you have to, like, ford a river. This is actually referencing a really important time in Israel's history. Isaiah is referencing the crossing of the Red Sea. So when God says, I will be with you, he doesn't mean, I'm just going to hang out, like, I'll watch Netflix while you're struggling over there, and like, oh, I'm here, I'm not going to do anything about it. When God says, I will be with you, the promise is when you come against challenges and barriers that are so much bigger than you, and you know you cannot conquer it, my presence is the power that will get you through the challenges. I will be with you. This is the promise of those times when we have experienced challenges and trusted in God and he has parted the waters for us and made what is impossible possible in our lives. That is what God means. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I've seen some impossible things happen in the last three years. 
some big. And this one is, is big, but it's also kind of funny that I'd like to share. When I first got here, and he did not ask his permission before I shared this, I only told him I was gonna do it. Um, when I first got here, I remember starting in the youth room, and there was this kid there named Logan. <laughs> I did ask if I could talk about him. Um, and I remember I really struggled because Logan's a leader. You know, like whatever Logan's gonna do, everyone's gonna do. And I remember there was a time where he just decided to like get up and walk out and half of them just got up and walked out. And I had just gotten here, it was like my second week. And you know, I was bringing breakfast, you know, we bring breakfast for every Sabbath school and we're like, they're throwing tangerines while I'm talking. And I remember grabbing one out of there and be like, stop that, you know? But it, we weren't connecting for a while because it takes time. Logan is super loyal, but he's not gonna connect super fast. And I remember going home and driving and praying and being like, man, this is really hard. Like, I can't seem to connect with him. Like, he just does not like me. And wherever Logan goes, everyone goes. <laughs> and as I was driving home that day, I kid you not, I had this image in my head of baptizing him here. And I remember laughing out loud in the car by myself and saying he would never ask me to do that. Our relationship would never be to that point. But I remember when it changed and Logan and I became friends. And instead of me having to be like, oh, get out of the youth room, he'd pick them up by their shirts and like take them out so I could lock the door. And he'd come early to help me for Vespers and stay late to help clean up. And then he met my husband and the three became great friends. And for me, it was one of those times where it seemed impossible. And then one day, he asked me to baptize him. And here we were on a Friday night at Vespers. And he's a solid foot and like, like 100 pounds heavier than me. And I dropped him when I put him in. But God fulfilled that promise. And that relationship with Logan is one of the most precious things that I'm going to be taking away. To know that God can do these things. And yet in your lives... That might seem small to you, but that was big to me. There was nothing I could have done to make that happen. And God says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you come across difficult health obstacles, financial obstacles, relational obstacles, spiritual obstacles, I have the power to open the waters for you. And then he says, when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. The rivers here reference the Jordan River. Uh, the Jordan River, when almost every time it's mentioned in the Old Testament, it's a barrier for God's people to God's plan. The Israelites had to cross it to get to the promised land, and there was Elijah and so many more that have to cross the Jordan River to go where God wants them to go. And what it teaches us is that there are times where we seek to do God's will. We're like, okay, God wants me to do this. I'm going to do something good. And then all of a sudden it gets really hard. And we have a Jordan River in front of us. Us, and it's swollen because it's flood season and we think we're going to drown. And so in faith, we take a step forward and we think to ourselves, God said he'd be with me. He's going to part the waters and I'm stepping forward and the waters are not parting and it's not getting better. In fact, it's getting worse and it's cold. And as the water starts to creep up our bodies and we go longer into the difficulties and it comes up to our neck, we realize this one might take me down. This one might be it. This problem and circumstance will overwhelm me and it will be over. I am broken. 
And this is what God says. There are times where he will part the waters when we go through transitions and make impossible things happen. And then there are times where he asks us to faithfully take step by step every day, trusting him, going toward his plan. And he says, even if the waters come up to your neck, my promise, they will not sweep over you. They will not grab you and suck you into the tide of all the brokenness that is happening. It will not destroy you. You keep taking step after step after step every day. And even if the water is climbing higher, as you move forward into what God has for you, he promises these waters will not sweep over you. They will only build you. They will not break you. That's God's promise to us when we go through challenges and transitions. And then he says this, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. It's really interesting that he writes this because just a few verses before um, in Isaiah 42, it's talking about how God is pouring out like wrath and anger and fire. And we're like, oh my goodness, God hates his people. But when, it, when scripture talks about God's fire, even God's wrath, he's not talking about anger and punishment and just all oh, because you deserve it. The purpose of fire when it is in reference with God's people is for refining. It's for purifying. And it's interesting. At the end of chapter 42, it says, I poured, God poured out his fire and his people didn't even feel it. They were consumed by it because they didn't even feel it. They didn't even turn to God. They didn't recognize that he was trying to teach them something. So instead of allowing the challenges and circumstances to help them to turn to God and to seek him more, they were consumed by it because they missed the opportunity that God was giving them. But he says, my people, when you choose to follow and belong to me, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Why? Because God says that he understands there are things in our hearts that we know should not be there. And it feels like sometimes the best we can do is just hide it, right? Just cover it over, try to pretend like it's not there until you say something. And you ask yourself, why did I say that? I don't mean that. And you feel something in your heart and you know, like, I love God, so... Why can't, I, why can't I love him in my heart? Why is everything that I want bad? And you come into a situation and you compromise and you say like, why is this happening? Why is all this stuff in my heart? We all know that there's a need for purity as we walk as believers. But the thing that we miss sometimes is that purity is not something for us to do and achieve. The process to get there is not a process of just doing more stuff. The process to get there is endurance. God says, I'm not asking you to purify yourself. I'm asking you to trust me that as you go through challenges, whether they're from my hand or from your hand or from someone else's hand, that any fire that comes your way is an opportunity to take what's in there that you know isn't good, but you've hidden from everybody and let it come to the surface so I can remove it and you can become pure of heart. If you will trust me enough to remain when things go hard, to not give up, to not quit, to not walk away, to not quit on each other, to not quit on the situations that God has called you to. God says, I promise there will be fire, but you will not be burned. You will be only purified and refined as you trust in me. This is a message that we don't always talk about in Christianity. Right now, the trend of Christianity is to say that if we trust in God, then we won't experience fire. If we trust in God, then we will never have to be in water up to our neck. And if we just have enough faith, he'll part the Red Sea every time. But that's not what God teaches us. He doesn't say if you go through fire because you made a mistake or all oh, the circumstances you're in are your fault. He says when you walk through the water, when the water is up to your neck, when you experience fire, because that's the world that we live in. What he says is in these times of difficulty and 
transition, these are the blessings I want to give you. When I part the waters, you will know that it's not, I'm not just a God that you've heard of, but that you have stories in your life to say, God parted the waters for me. And when you walk through the water and the water is up to your neck and you keep taking steps forward, then you can look at somebody else who has water up to their neck and say, you keep stepping forward because the water did not sweep over me. And when you walk through the fire and it is difficult and you feel like you're going to be consumed, you can say, I will remain because God is using this to purify my heart. I will not be consumed by this. God will strengthen me. That is what God has to say to us in times of transition is let me give you some special gifts that you cannot receive when things are perfect, that you cannot receive when everything goes well. He says, these circumstances might have been intended for evil in your life, but I intend them for good and to affect, to save many lives. So as you go into seasons of difficulty and transition, turn to him, believe him, take the steps forward, trust and remain, knowing that he is a God who has been writing our stories. In the book, uh, The Land Between by Jeff Mannion, the Young and Free class, uh, read this two books ago. He says something interesting. He says, often God chooses to meet meet us with his blessing in a place we do not choose to be. He will bless us on the detour. Often the place of blessing is not our place of preference. Often God leads us through the land we most want to avoid in order to produce the fruit we most desperately desire. If you're walking through something difficult today in your personal, professional, spiritual lives, understand that the blessings he wants to give us usually don't come where we're comfortable and everything is good. And sometimes the pathway to knowing that he is with us is when we have to bear the brunt of deep loneliness. And the pathway, the fruit of understanding our identity as his son or his daughter is when everything else that we rely on for our identity is stripped away. And he says, let me bless you in this land of detour, in this unexpected place. You are never outside of his story. There is no mistake that he cannot redeem. There is no place that we can go that he cannot bless us and bless those around us and take us. He says, it is often in our, the place of blessing is often not our place of preference, but it is the place that God chooses for us if we choose to remain. So following him means trusting him to follow him, even when he takes us where we do not want to go. So today, as you go through challenges, I want to encourage you and tell you that as God has been with this church and has been leading this church, and it's an incredible story of how God has been leading this church, he will continue. I have anxiety and grief about going. You know, the, the amazing thing is my husband and I both got to have an opportunity to get some practical pastoral experience before getting our master's, which is such a gift. And our conference, you know, they decide when to send us, but they also take care of us. And it's good things to look forward to in the future. But the assurance that God has given me is that he's been writing Benita's story for many years. And his pen will not skip a beat. That even if there's a time of, of gap and transition between um, me and whoever comes, his story will continue, just as his story will continue in mine and my husband's life. You've been here with me. You've helped me grow up in some ways in this church, watched me get married and you know start new things. And he will continue to write our story as well. In fact, as Pastor Milton mentioned last week, 
And God is in Michigan too. And as funny as that is, it's like, oh, God's everywhere. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? It has been so special to recognize and realize that the same God that has done miracles here for us. And as I've been able to share in some of my sermons for housing, for all kinds of things, even bringing my husband here to this conference, we have seen God moving in amazing ways, bringing the right people into ministries at the right time. He continues to move in Michigan. He's already provided for us a place to stay there. He used my cousin Stephanie, who's here randomly from Michigan. Hi, Steph. He used her to, to seal the deal that day so that he could tell us that even though we leave Benita, which has been such a place of blessing for us, he has good plans and good blessings for us in Michigan, too. So as he has been writing your story, he will continue to write ours. If you look in your bulletin, and people were asking me about it, um, you will see that the sermon title is God Bui. God Bui. I don't know how to say that. And the reason for that is because I was considering this week how hard it is to say goodbye, and it is, because ministry has been good here. The relationships have been good here. It's been good here. But I learned that goodbye actually doesn't mean the end. According to Oxford English Dictionary, the term goodbye came from the phrase, God be with ye. That's what people used to say in the 15th and 16th century. They would say, God be with you. And in the space between when we're together and when you go, I'm entrusting you into God's hands. I'm entrusting you into God's care and the story into his care. It got shortened over time to this God be with you version in the middle and eventually got changed into goodbye. But goodbye doesn't mean, oh, it's over and it's all sad. It means that God is with you just as he is with me. So I want to thank you so much for the opportunity of ministering in this church, for taking the chance on me, for becoming family to me, for the time and hours and joys spent outside of this building and inside. And as the band comes forward, I'd like to leave you with this blessing. Numbers 6, 24 to 27. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And God said, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. So as you journey, as God is with you, as you love the new pastor the same way that you have loved me, please do. I beg you to love the new person the same way that you have loved me. May God bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you and continue to write a story of his greatness and goodness here at the Benita Valley Church.